such an encouragement to see. I think we had over 20 plus folks who kind of came forward at the end of the service and knelt on the super soft wood floor that we have up here. <laughs> the 12 pillows were immediately taken quickly from that. But I uh, just commend again those of you who took the courageous step that you took of just a, a point of surrender, right? We talked about the significance at different points in our life where we have to do something with our physical body. And that was a big step. And so, um, you know, some of you have been asking this week, maybe just go, okay, now what? You know, I had this kind of big moment, surrender, or rededication, coming back, I'm done running, just, I'm not running anymore, so uh, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to go all in. And so, so now what? Uh, a big answer to that is what the Bible calls baptism. So Jesus says, hey, you know, one of the things you do is after you've made a significant decision like that is you have a time where you're publicly with the body of Christ and you represent in a tank of water what happened internally in that transaction of saying, I'm done running, I'm coming back. So we're going to have our next baptism service end of August. So maybe that's the step you need to take. You're just saying, hey, you know what? I need to put a stake in the ground with baptism that way. And then the other kind of big Bible word to describe, so now what, is discipleship. And so discipleship around here, we like to use the metaphor of the tree. So here's a picture you've seen before of kind of a Psalm 1, like a tree planted by stream of water. Go ahead and put that up there for us. So this picture, right, of, of when you make a decision for Christ, you become rooted in Jesus. And then we begin to grow in the trunk of the tree. We learn how to love God and we learn how to love others. And we have two primary classes that several of you have been engaged with, over a hundred of you in each of the classes this winter and spring. Emotionally healthy spirituality, learning how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and emotionally healthy relationships, learning how to love others, even those in our life that are difficult to learn, to love, to do that Jesus' way. And so that's the process of what it means to be a disciple, is you learn how to live as Jesus taught and modeled. You enter Jesus' school of living, and you say, Jesus, teach me how to live. And this is rooted in him, growing up. And then now, this morning, we're talking about kind of the branches of the tree. Our discipleship framework will continue to grow, and we'll continue to add more elements connected to being rooted in Christ, growing up with EHR and EHS as a foundation. And now we're going to look at, in this fall, we're going to have a class called God Owns It All, which talks about stewardship and finances and all that stuff. So you'll be hearing more about that down the road. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a class called Perspectives. So if you'd welcome to the stage with me, Mr. Tom Lange Bartles. Tom, how many years ago for you when you took Perspectives class? Three, two and a half. Okay, so three years ago, you entered this class. And I think you put it in the category of one of the most spiritually formative experiences you've had in your life. And so just talk about the personal impact of you just journeying through perspectives and how you've seen God use it in your life. Okay. So I have to start. I have to give you a little back uh, history of where I was at the time. Um, my dad had just changed his address a month, month from now, three years ago. Mm. Um, and so it was three years ago. Wow. He, he um, So he's... He's in heaven now. And I did the eulogy for that. And in doing that, I had to, to, to uh, study kind of his life and go back through all the things that I had learned and things I didn't know. And I realized through all that that my dad had lived a life, a Philippians 3 life. Um, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mm. That was his life. And he had given up his dreams to follow Je when he followed Jesus to to pursue and do what what God had asked him to do. Mm. So um, at that time, I started thinking, 
man, I've got 30 years left. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was 54 years old. My dad was 82 when he died, and the numbers are roughly 30 years. Mm -hmm. And um, and I thought, what am I going to do with them? So that, that was my thinking going into perspectives. Wow. And so perspectives class for me was like like going snorkeling. You've talked about snorkeling before. Mm. Um, you go out on, on the reef, and you see the vast ocean, the beauty of the ocean, the power of the ocean, and you jump in the water, and you feel the, the presence of the ocean all around you. But when you put the, the mask on and you go under the surface, mm. then you see uh, things you didn't know existed, things that you knew were there, um, but you didn't quite you just saw, you see them in greater beauty and, and clarity. And um, when I took a perspectives class, it was like that. I'd been a Christian for 42 years and, um, and not just a nominal Christian. I don't think just a nominal Christian. You know, I was following Jesus. And, and, um, but the, uh, as a result of taking that class, when I read scripture now, mm. I see phrases like um, the nations, the coastlands, the islands, um, the peoples of the earth, the families of the earth, those things all have meaning at, at a deeper level. And I see things like mm. uh, fame to God's name, the glory of God's name, mm. um, the majesty of, of the Lord. Those things all have meaning. In, in, not that they didn't before, but there's a, a clarity mm. that came. And, um, and so uh, when, I, when we sing scripture or worship songs, um, phrases like, um, all the earth will shout your praise, mm. our, our hearts will cry, yeah. uh, these bones will sing, great are you, Lord. The, that has a greater depth of meaning to me at this point. And when I pray, I don't pray for my stuff anymore. Mm. I, I pray for lost people. Mm. I pray for people I don't know, um, people groups I've never even heard of before. Mm. Um, so it's really affected my whole spiritual life. So the title of the class, Perspectives, you would say, hey, huge shift mm -hmm. and just Tom's overall perspective on your last 30 years you've got. If God's, by God's grace, it gives you a good 30-year run. Yeah. And maybe just put some handles on it for people who just have no idea. Like when we say the Perspectives class, the immediate thing is, what is that? Like, what, like if you're going to describe for someone, you know, what is perspective, what can they expect if they were to be a part of it? Okay. Um, so, perspectives is, um, it's going to explain the story, God's, God's story. So, God has an epic story, and, and we're all a part of it. Whether you like it or not, you're a part of God's story. Mm. And um, if you start in Genesis uh, chapter 1, or chapter 12, it's the beginning of God's story of redemption of mankind. It's, it's an epic story. Mm. Um, so, Abraham, God promised him that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Mm. And then in Revelation seven, John, uh, who wrote that book, said he he stood and he saw a great multitude yeah. uh, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation uh, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were worshiping. Um, with palm branches and they had white robes and they were saying salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this picture in Genesis, um, you'll be a blessing and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That was fulfilled in Jesus and in Revelations you see the, the, the picture that's the fulfillment of that. Mm -hmm. And 
what Perspectives does, it'll give you that entire story. It gives you um, the history of how God's moved in the earth. It gives you cultural uh, studies, so you you understand cross-cultural relationships, how to build bridges, and then gives you strategies for uh, doing doing cross-cultural ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and in the end, for taking the class, you find out, or it, it helps you discover your role in that story. And um, it, it may be insignificant or, or feel insignificant, but mm-hmm. um, for anybody you touch in this life, it's eternally significant. And so... Um, that's that's perspectives. That's yeah. what per, the perspectives class sounds like. Is. It's kind of a you know it's a class for you guys. Kind of the larger story, right? Larger story and where we fit in because we're all part of the larger story, as Tom's saying. But I think this is a great action step. And maybe we we close Tom by just what's kind of a dream a prayer you've been praying for perspectives when you think about Eagle Church. You know, kind of our overall vision for discipleship. You think of that tree, and we see perspectives as integral to what we're doing and raising up you know, men and women who are wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. So maybe just kind of a closing word of your dream as you look at, right, we're going to launch it in August, right? So we're going to have the class start on August 7th, and it's a pretty big commitment, right? Three hours every Tuesday night from August 7th to November 13th, right? Um, so maybe best, just... Best three hours of the week. There you go. So maybe just speak to, you know, your, your dream behind this. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, so for Eagle, for this church, and, and really for the, the other surrounding areas, I've been praying that God will engage us in his work. Mm. Um, you know, the, the work of, of the church, of, of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, mm. and teachers, is to, is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And, and I see this as a real equipping tool. Mm. And, and so my dream is that, that a bunch of us from this church would be Involved, take perspectives, be involved in and engaged in building and expanding the kingdom of God in the earth. Awesome. Um, yeah, reaching unreached people groups. That's one of my big dreams is that Eagle will sponsor yeah. an unreached people group and we'll go after it. That's great. So Tom's going to be out in the atrium, right? You'll be out the table in the back there. There's some costs associated with perspectives, but we don't want money to be the reason you're, you're not going to go. So if money's an issue, just let Tom know we've got some scholarship monies to help. And, um, but we'd love for a good army of those of you, you're hu- some, some of you are so hungry right now to learn and grow, which is such a sign of the Spirit's work in this body. This is a great, tangible, hey, you can sign up for August 7th and say, you know what, I'm going to take a deep dive for 13 weeks. And I think Tom's words will be, you 100% will not regret it. I haven't met one person yet who's taken perspectives who said to me, well, that just wasn't a very good decision at all. I've, every person I met with perspectives, they're back. I took it as a part of my graduate school uh, training and seminary. So if those of you in grad school, some of you college students who are home for the summer, you can take this course and get uh, grad school credit for it. Um, and that is not to intimidate those of you who are considering signing up. You don't have to do all the grad school work if you sign up. But those of you who want to get that, that's the level. They fly in speakers from all around the country, maybe all around the world. Who knows? They get them from everywhere. So it's a different speaker every week. We're going to host it here. And so Tom's your go-to person, and he'll be out there to help answer questions. And you can also go on the website, eaglechurch.com slash events. So Tom, I'd love for it if you just kind of close this up. Just pray. Just pray for God's blessing and outpouring of his spirit on this. Father, um, your goodness is so uh, evident in mm-hmm. this world as we look around. And, and, and yet at the same time, we see so much brokenness and hurt and pain and Lord, you've called us, you've called the church, and you've given the church the authority and the command to go and to make disciples of all nations. 
and to teach them to obey all that, that uh, you've commanded. And Lord, I pray that um, over this church and in this church, there will be those who rise up to do that very thing, to mm-hmm. take, take the gospel to the nations, take the gospel across the street, um, to various places around our own city and country, and um, that your uh, your uh, great commission would be fulfilled and would be, um, that yeah. you would use this church to do that. Yeah. We thank you, Father, for that and for your love, and we do all this, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Round of applause for Tom. Thank him for his leadership. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're wrapping up our series. Have you enjoyed the series on the life of Jonah? I hope you have. Uh, I heard one or two people over here really enjoyed it, so that's great. Uh, I've really enjoyed the book. I think it's become one of my favorite prophets. Um, we've, We've entitled Jonah's life, The Prodigal Prophet. You know, because here's a, if you want a picture of Jonah's life, I put it in a map form. So this is the story of Jonah, kind of catch us up where we're at, right? Where God comes to Jonah, who's a prophet, who means he's listening to God. And he, he's trying to do what God wants him to do until God gives him an assignment, says, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh. So he's there in Israel. I need you to go north and west, or north and east to Nineveh, about 500 miles, modern day Iraq. Not a great place, not a place you'd want to go, not a place anybody's looking to travel. So God says, I want you to go there, and I want you to proclaim the love and grace you've experienced to them. I want you to, you know, what you've experienced, Jonah, I want you to share it with them who really need to hear about that. And Jonah's response was, no. Not a lengthy explanation. Nope, not going to do it. Matter of fact, he goes down to a port called Joppa, gets gets on a ship, and goes 2,000 miles the opposite direction. Is that not a commentary? on the human experience, right? So he's headed across the Mediterranean on that orange line towards Tarshish, which is basically the end of the known world in in Jonah's day there. And so we talked about how Jonah's the story of a man who ran from God, which makes Jonah's story, your story, my story, our story. We've all got a little bit of Jonah in us, right? We've all got some Jonah stories in this. There's all kinds of reasons we run from God, right? We use religion to run from God. There's a whole bunch of that that goes on, right? We use relationships to run from God. We use busyness to run from God. We use laziness to run from God. We stack up all kinds of things. We simply can use selfishness and comfort and convenience to run from God. You're like, no, I'm not interested, God, in doing what you want me to do and going where you want me to go, so I'm going to run. And so Jonah chapter 1, two weeks ago we looked at, is this picture of you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. So Jonah gets on a boat, which is a terrible decision, which we talked about. When you're running from God, you tend to make very unwise choices. You don't run to a place of wisdom and truth when you run from God. He gets on a boat, go across the Mediterranean, terrible decision. God stirs up a large storm, big waves, raging storm, ships breaking apart. The crew's like, what's up with Jonah? Jonah's asleep in the bow of the boat. Another good picture, right? We tend to be the last one to get the clue phone, to answer the clue phone that we're running from God. Everybody around us knows we're running, but, but us. Mom knows it, dad knows it, close friend knows it, brother knows it, sister knows it, pastor knows it, life group members know it. Everybody around you knows you're running, but you're asleep in the bow of the boat, not understanding what's going on here. So they go down, they grab him, they say, hey, you know what, Jonah, something's up. This, hey, we're, our ship's going to bust apart, we're all going to die. And Jonah says, hey, you just need to throw me overboard. 
So somewhere in the one, uh, two, somewhere in that, uh, right before three, there's some awake, there's some stuff shifting around inside of Jonah. He gets tossed into the sea at the end of chapter one. And thinking, you know, I can run from God, but I can't outrun God. Anybody found that to be true? Some of you last Sunday was that picture, right? You know you'd been running. You've been running maybe for months, years, decades, and all the dots started to connect last Sunday. You know what? I can't outrun God. I can try to go to Tarshish. Guess what? God's already there. Been there, done that. He's there to greet you. And he's always there pursuing us, coming after us. Not what? Not to pay us back. It's not about punishment. Jesus took the punishment on, right? The cross, hey, it's not about punishment. God's pursuit isn't about to pay us back, but it's to bring us back, to turn us back. It's about redemption. It's about relationship. So Jonah, one, two, three, splash right into this stormy sea. And a giant fish swallows Jonah up. End of chapter one, beginning of chapter two. And it says inside the belly of this big fish, it says Jonah prayed to the Lord. I imagine so. He prayed to the Lord. And Jonah chapter two is a journal entry of Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish. And you know how he opens his prayer? In my distress, I called to the Lord. Huh. You know, God does this, right? We looked last week. God ratchets up the distress factor in our life. Not to pay us back, not about punishment, but to draw us back, to turn us back. It's about redemption. It's about relationship. It's about I'm coming for you. I'm calling out for you. You can get on a boat. You can go asleep in the boat. I'm going to rage the storms. I'm going to bring the wind. I'm going to bring the waves. And you're going to get tossed into the water. You're going to get swallowed by the fish. And in your distress, you're going to call to the Lord. And for many of you, that's the explanation for you in the blue chair today. That is exactly your story, your Jonah story, my story, your story, our story. And so last week we talked about this, think about your seventh grade chemistry scales, right? When the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, things start changing. When the pain of your current circumstances, you with me here, tipping point. When the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, stuff starts changing. For Jonah, raging storm, Uh, belly of a fish, (laughs) seaweed wrapped around him, entangled, uh, that would be the definition of pain level flip, right? Distress factor off the charts. Calls to the Lord. Turning point. Comes back. Redemption. So this is where we ended last week. Chapter 2, verse 10. Here's the last verse of chapter 2. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How about that projectile vomit right there? Woo! Some of you moms of preschoolers got a lot of projectile vomiting. That whale, that's a long projectile right there. All the way to dry land, he gets tossed out of the belly of that fish. Wrapped in seaweed, covered in sand, laying there. And then look, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, where have we heard that before? Uh, Go back. Chapter 1, verse 1. God says, Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. No. 
Chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. We're going we're to learn a little Hebrew phrases today. So you're going to do a little Hebrew speaking, even if you've never spoken Hebrew today. So this is the word, the, the underline in your Bible, second time. This is the Hebrew word, shanai. Say shanai. Shanai. That second time, that means again. Right? How many of you know that the God we worship and serve is Lord of the shanai? He's king of the again. He's king of the, I'm not going to stop coming for you. You can run, you can hide, you can go to sleep, you can rebel, you can stiff arm, push away, spiritual Heisman, you can do all that. You can rationalize, you can put your head in the sand, and how many of you know our God is king of the Shani? Jonah, he, he didn't stop coming for Jonah, he just keeps coming. Second time, third time, tenth time, fiftieth time. God just keeps coming for you. You cannot outrun him. You can't outrun him in your disobedience, chapter one. In just a moment, you're going to see you can't outrun him in your obedience, which is chapter three. Because here, Jonah is going to obey. The word is go, right? You see that in verse two? He says, I want you to do something. And it's go. Now, these are two Hebrew words. Kum. Yalak, that's embodied in the word English word go there. Say kum yalak. Yalak. Kum yalak means go now. Go suddenly. Go immediately. Go urgently. Not just, hey, I need you to go. It's go. Do you know, somewhere along the line in our walk with God, there are kum yalak. Kum, by the way, is pre- you, it's Q-U-A-W-M, but it's pronounced K-O-O-M. So kum yalak, Y-A-L-A-K. Kum yalak. How many of you know this? There are kum yalak moments in your walk with God. You come up to some space sometimes and God's like, hey, this is a cumulac moment. You can stop praying. You can stop waiting. You can stop running. You can stop rationalizing. You can stop. Hey, it's cumulac right now. It's a go now. Jonah, go now. Go immediately. Go urgently. Cumulac. Similarly, in chapter one, it was kind of a cumulac moment too. Same word, go. Jonah just says no. In this case, Now, let's see what he does right here, right now. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Underline that. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Ha! What's shifting in Jonah here? Go back to chapter 1 and look at his response. Jonah goes down to Joppa and boards a ship 2,000 miles opposite direction. Chapter 3, verse 1, Jonah, chapter 3, verse 3, obeyed the word of the Lord. You see, when you're sovereign, like when you're God of all the earth, in control of everything at all times, all, you don't have to shout. When you're sovereign, you don't have to shout. You just say, hey, Jonah, I need you to go do this. And if you notice, if you push back against the sovereignty of God, who wins? If you haven't figured it out yet, it doesn't do, like you, you in a wrestling match with the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, there's one winner consistently in that wrestling match, and it's not you or me. God wins, checkmate, pin down, in a corner, right? G.K. Chesterton said, the hound of heaven, when he catches your scent, he will track you down. He catches your scent. He'll track you down. He'll move, water, he'll move waters, oceans, seas, fish, get to you. And Jonah, I just need you to do, we're still on plan A. You know, with God, there's always this plan A with God. He's still, hey, I know we've had a little detour there in chapter, in part of chapter one and two, but we're back on chapter three, go to Nineveh. Jonah's off to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Now, listen, Nineveh, the Bible uses great city 
not to proclaim its virtue. It has to do with its power, its intimidation, and its influence. That's what the word great there is referring to. It's not great as an inspire to be like Nineveh, and we hit that a couple of weeks ago. So if you missed out on some of the series, go back and listen to week one where we unpack like the dynamics of Nineveh, not great in virtue, but great in power, influence, and intimidation. So, hey, you're going to go to Nineveh. Verse 4, on the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed. Here's what he goes and says. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. What? They declared a fast. And all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now, what does that mean? That means like revivals breaking out. So sackcloth is like the exterior garments that they would use in confession and repentance. So when you see in the Bible that someone puts on sackcloth, you've heard that phrase, I repent in dust and ashes. This is repent in sackcloth. So when they put on sackcloth, it's an indication like God has brought conviction. I need to bring change. I was going this way. I got to go this way. It's a moment of surrender. It's a turning point. And not just a few people, notice what the text says. From the greatest to the least, the king of Nineveh, who is an extremely powerful individual, who basically did what he wanted, how he wanted, the way he wanted, for years and years and years, until Jonah shows up, proclaims God's word, and something, God cuts him to the heart. And now the king of Nineveh is wearing sackcloth, and the king declares a nationwide fast and a nationwide prayer of repentance. And listen to what he says in the prayer. He says, let everyone, this is verse 8, let everyone call urgently on God. This is the king of Nineveh saying that. Are you kidding me? Now, in your head, you need to think about the least likely character in our current political landscape. I will not name any of those, but I just want you to put in the categories around our globe of the least likely character that you think is ever going to stand before the God of heaven and earth and say this, let everyone call urgently on God, capital G, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. This is the king of Nineveh saying that. It says, who knows, God may yet relent and have compassion on us. Now, verse 10, look what happens here. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Are you kidding me? This is an amazing story. This is a story that Disney would want the rights to if the story just ended right here. Unbelievable, right? Can you see it? Can you see the Disney logo throwing around with Jonah? This is going to be an amazing kids movie, right? Jonah runs from God. He doesn't want to go. God doesn't give up on him. God pursues him. Big fish. Oh, that's big kid points. They're swallowing up the big fish, spitting out the big, right out onto Nineveh. And then Jonah's like, I wake up call. After the seaweed's unwrapped, after the sands brush off, I'm going to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh. He does what God wants him to do. And all the Ninevites turn back to God unbelievable Disney-like ending. Problem is, it's not the Bible's ending. So Jonah 3, this is in the category of Jonah obedient, right? Jonah 1 and 2, Jonah disobedient. Jonah 3 is Jonah obedient. Now he's doing what God asked him to do, but notice, chapter 4 now, notice here. But Jonah, verse 1, was greatly displeased and became angry. Hmm. He prayed to the Lord. Here he is praying again. So yeah, Jonah's a prayerful guy. Remember, he's a prophet. He knows the law of God. He's prayerful. He's seeking to do the will of God. 
But something's going on. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. So he's like, hey, this is why I ran. I knew, look at that, underline, I knew. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Are you kidding me? So here's Jonah, right? Jonah basically says, God, this went exactly like I knew it was going to go. That's why I got on the boat and ran to Tarshish. I didn't want Nineveh to get your mercy and grace. I wanted Nineveh to get judgment and condemnation. I'm so frustrated this went exactly, I knew this was going to go this way. And I love what Anne Lamott said about this. I put this quote in your notes. Anne Lamott said this, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. So see, Jonah, you got a view and an image of God. Hmm. God's shifting that around. And the question, right, the question that begs to be answered is, how does this happen? How do we go from Jonah obedient, beginning of chapter 3, to Jonah like, do you hear the whining tone? I'm just hearing the whining and the murmuring that comes out of that prayer. Anybody have like whining prayers at times? Some of my prayers are so whiny. The Lord is so patient with my whining. And here's Jonah just whining and moaning about this thing not going like you wanted it to go, but going exactly like God wanted it to go, but he, how does that happen in our heart? How do we go from Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 to Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, from obedient to resentful? How does that happen? I think that's a question that begs to be answered. And listen to what Eugene Peterson says here. I put this quote in your notes as well. His book, um, Under the Unpredictable Plant, was very helpful in this series. So it was like Peterson and Andy Stanley, Ravi Zacharias, these guys really helped me with the book of Jonah. So here's what Peterson said. It's in our virtuous behavior that we are liable to the gravest sins. Track with us now. It is while we are being good that we have the chance of being really bad. Stay with me. It is in this context of being responsible, being obedient, that we most easily substitute our will for God's will. Because it's, because it's so easy to suppose that they are identical. The story of Jonah obedient is far more unattractive than Jonah disobedient. So, here, so here's Jonah. So here's Jonah's life. Like, Jonah surrendered to the law of God. He's a prophet. He has to know the law really, really well. Surrendered to the law of God. He's now surrendered to the will of God in chapter 3. But there's something going on. He's surrendered to the law of God and the will of God. But in chapter 4, he's struggling to fully surrender, hear this now, to the purposes of God in the world around him. So here's Jonah's like, this is Jonah's perspectives class, Tom. This is what this is right here. So Jonah's getting, he's going to to perspectives class. He's got like his 13-week run in like a 10-minute dialogue with God here. Because what's happening is, and you know, this, hap- this can happen to us. This isn't just unique to Jonah, right? 
What do we call a person who surrendered to the, the law of God, who kind of knows God's word and is seeking to honor God with his life or her life? What do we call those people who want to live in God's will? We call a really good person. What do we say? A really good person, like someone who knows a little bit about the Bible and when you come and comes to church pretty regularly, brings the kids to church too, and, and knows even some of the words to the songs. And then like, and puts a little money in the offering, maybe serves in some ministry areas, a really good person. Like, they're not going Jonah 1 on the story. They're not jumping on a ship in Joppa and going to Tarshish. And in the, no, they're not, you're not that like outwardly rebellious Jonah 1 version. You're just kind of in the, you're Jonah 3. You're like, you know, I'm, for the most part, you're like, hey, I know what God wants me to do. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. But in that very space, do you know what happens when you're a really good person and you fail to embrace God's larger purposes for the world around you, do you know what that can breed? That's a breeding ground for judgmentalism and self-righteousness in here. See, here's how you become judgmental. You become judgmental by being a really good person and losing sight on on any form of goodness in your life, how it was deposited there in any capacity. When you lose sight of that, you become judgmental, self-righteous. Or, or you, be, you become judgmental by becoming a really, really good person and losing sight of the grace that saved you and the grace that keeps you and the grace that covers you and the grace that sustains you. When you do, you, or, or you become judgmental uh, when, you're, when you're a really, really good person and you forget that you were born in Nineveh like all the rest of us. You know, the Bible says, Everyone on this side of Genesis 3 is born in Nineveh spiritually. Nineveh being what? A place of darkness, of lostness. In a moment, we're going to see they can't tell their right hand from their left. That's Bible speak for completely lost. They need help. And you know, you you become judgmental when you're a really, really good person and you lose sight that you were once in Nineveh and somewhere, either through parents, through friends, through colleagues, somewhere God reached to you in your own Nineveh-like realities and you lose sight of that and you forget what it's like to live life in Nineveh and then you just kind of sit high and mighty above the darkness of Nineveh and you pronounce kind of self-righteous judgment upon it. That's how you... You see how this happens? This is why Jonah obedience a lot uglier even than Jonah disobedient. Like think about how this can happen in our hearts this way. And notice now, let's watch. God's going to step in. God's going to reply to Jonah's whining, murmuring prayer. Verse 4, the Lord replies, Have you any right to be angry? I translated that, God saying, seriously. Right? Parents, we do this sometimes, right? The kids come to us, and it's such an obvious, like, that is not, the fact that that question's being asked is way out of bounds, right? It's a seriously moment. Like, can you just picture, seriously, Jonah? Like, we're having this dialogue? Like, seriously, Jonah, you are upset that I am displaying love and grace towards the Ninevites. Seriously, Jonah? Do you see he's trying to turn the irony up for Jonah? Jonah, do you remember? Hey, it was just a few weeks ago when you were on the boat. Weren't you super grateful for my love and grace then? Uh, you need to be super grateful for my love and grace. You'd be dead if you weren't. 
Uh, I sent a storm to get you out of the boat, in the water, to get you in the fish, to get you in the dry land so we can have this dialogue. Huh. Like, like Jonah, seriously, like, aren't you grateful for the grace I showed and the kind of fish I had swallow you? Like, look, there could have been a lot in the belly of that fish besides you in there. And it was just kind of you and you had some good space in there and we could have a dialogue. And, and Jonah, you, you could have been written off dead multiple times in this story, but look. And Jonah, look, look at, look, unbelievable, look at 120,000 people getting saved and coming to Christ and experiencing grace and love and redemption. This is amazing, but you can't rejoice in all of that because you're just, right? I think some things, right? Jonah 4, Jonah 4 is going on the heart when you're so judgmental, you're so self-righteous, you can't celebrate a display of God's goodness around you. Nothing good happens in our hearts when a display of God's goodness happens around us and we just turn a blind eye to it, get resentful about it, want to debate it. So God says, hey, Jonah, seriously, we're having this conversation. And Jonah goes out on the hillside of Nineveh, which is a modern-day Iraq, very desert-like place. He goes there to sit and to sulk in his judgmentalism and self-righteousness. He builds a little like a little shelter for him was super hot there. I mean, I've not spent a lot of time in that area of the world, but all you need to do is look at pictures over there. And for those of you who've been in the Middle East for any length of time, super hot, so they needed a shelter. So he builds a little shelter. And then God causes a vine to grow up over the shelter. It's an amazing part of the story. Okay? Sends a nice plant, kind of a nice broad-leafed plant, provides some nice shade for Jonah. And says Jonah's relieved. He's kind of grateful for the plant. And then God sends a worm to eat the plant, like in one day's time. And then the shade goes away. And now Jonah, man, he, he's, he's really hot. Like, he's hot on the outside with his body, and he's hot on the inside. Like, he is fuming upset, mad now. So God says here, verse 9. Here's how the book ends. God says to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Because he's moaning about how the vine died. I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? End of book. That's why Disney didn't pick up the rights on this one. Disney's not interested in chapter 4. Disney just wants Jonah 1 to 3. But real life is Jonah 1 to 4, right? Huh. How about the literary style of that? Just end of book. Do you, do you see what God's saying here? He says, Jonah, 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 I know you're a good man. I mean, Jonah, you're, you're, you're a good man. There's a book of the Bible going to be named after you, Jonah. Like, Jesus is going to reference you in his teachings, Jonah. I know you're a good man. I know you're a law-abiding man. I know you're a God-fearing man. Jonah, I know this about you. But here's the, here's the struggle. Jonah, you're not concerned about the things that I'm concerned about. Like, like Jonah, 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 what are you concerned about right now? Uh, if Jonah's on, uh, the vine, shade, Me. Jonah, 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 I'm thinking about Nineveh. 
I'm thinking about how we started this dialogue, chapter one. Boy, we've had a long journey to get you here. I'm thinking about how I want Nineveh to experience the love and grace you've experienced. Jonah, that's what I'm thinking about. Jonah, what are you thinking about? Uh, vine, shade, me. Jonah, 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 I'm thinking about 120,000 people who've been bound in darkness and now are seeing the light and they're coming to life spiritually. Jonah, I'm thinking about that. I'm preoccupied with that. I sent you there for that, for life to come. Jonah, what are you thinking about? Ah, the vine, shade, me. See, Jonah disobedient, ooh, that's a lot. See, Jonah disobedient is a lot easier to stomach than Jonah, Jonah obedient. Whew. You see this? Can you imagine with me now? Can you, can you picture this? Can you imagine with me what might happen if those of us inside the church, those of us who've experienced this love and grace of Christ, can you imagine now what it will be like if we carried the same degree of concern for those outside the church that God does? Can you imagine what might happen in our world? And I wonder sometimes if this is where the, perhaps some of the, the credibility of the church's witness in our world today is struggling at different points. I wonder if it's because for those in Nineveh, they look at the church as just a gathering of really good people. But really good people who may be, you know, honoring the law of God and wanting to fear God, but are not embracing God's purposes for the broader world. Just a bunch of really good people. I mean, we carry our Bibles, we sing our songs, we write some checks on the offering, we serve a little bit. But are we really broken for the things that God's heart's broken about? Do we have his perspective on this globe? Do we look at Nineveh and see what God sees? Or are we more like Jonah? I mean, if we're a little honest, we're like, ah, the vine and shade and comfort and convenience and me. You know, one of the things I love about Eagle is for the 26 years that we've been around together, the numbers of you that are engaged in God's global purposes is inspiring. The, I think ratio-wise for the size of church we are, the number of you who are engaged, who love God, who are seeking to honor Him with your life, and you're connected to what He's doing around the world. I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, from what you got, like a Tom Langebartle story, you had to have a conversation with John Dorado in the back who went to Perspectives. John had bend your ear for a good story or two with how his whole last chapters of his life are being altered radically, connected. He returns from Bangladesh, a man in his 60s saying, you know what, I gotta, what, what am I doing going to Bangladesh? John said, I, I'm not sure, I'm the, but God, God sent me to Bangladesh. Or how about the numbers of you, like I was starting to think about, like how many of you are about to take a week's vacation to like join 100 plus students at a camp up in Michigan. You're connected to what God's doing in this world. That you're Like a bunch of you adults are about to do that. And then some other of you adults are going to take a week's vacation and go to the Dominican Republic with 25 students in July. And then a lot of you are connected to kind of serving in hiddenness with our next generation in our kids' ministry. Tons of you giving your lives away there. Or I think about our trips like to Cambodia and Remember New. I think about the numbers of you who are sponsoring kids to help get them out of sex trafficking, that that's not a reality in our world anymore. Or I think about those of you who are linked up to city life on the west side and working with Clyde and Allie and Danny and trying to turn around some of the brokenness in our inner city. And I got a text from Danny Marquez Thursday or Friday morning. I think they had a big youth deal on Thursday night. And Danny sent me a text of a picture of a group of kids. He said, he said Pastor Eric, 
15 students gave their hearts to Christ last night in inner city, west side, Indianapolis. How cool is that? And he was sending a text to me to say, just want to remind you, Eagle Church was central to all of that because many of you are investing and giving and serving and that's what it means. That's how you battle back from going Jonah 4 on this story. You got to stay vitally connected to what God's doing in the bigger world. You got to go, right, or, or join in Dawn and Dave Rose of a teen challenge up in Lebanon. Some of you helping teens, right, some of these girls that are bound in addiction and trying to turn their lives around. Many of you investing and giving out that way. Some of you adopting children through safe families and these other things. That's how. You see that, the ripple effect of goodness. I'm so inspired when I think about the volume of you engaged in God's global work. But I do think there's a caution here. Not all of us. And for those of you who are more on the sidelines looking into all of that, here's the caution that Jonah's story brings us. We have to be very careful that in the midst of just living a good godly life, disconnected from God's global purposes, we don't end up getting to a place where we're sitting on the outside of Nineveh, sulking, murmuring, complaining, with a heart full of judgmentalism and self-righteousness. We've got a commentary for everything that is broken about the world, but the struggle is we haven't moved towards it with the love and grace of God. Unless you move towards Nineveh-like brokenness, you know where you end up? On the hillside, looking upon it with a heart covered up with Jonah 4-like stuff. And so, this morning, as you leave, this is what you're all going to receive on your way out. Different colored carnations. We've got enough for every single one of you to get one. So I'd like you all to get one. Young and old in the room here. And I want you to put it somewhere in your home. And I want you to spend the next two, three weeks, however long it takes, for this carnation is eventually going to what? It's eventually going to begin to droop. It's going to kind of turn discolored. And it's eventually going to die. And while we watch these carnations slowly die, here's the question I want you to ask. Say, Lord, am I more concerned about a dying plant than I am about dying people? God, am I more wound up? This this represents all the physical realities in our life. Every single physical reality in life has an end point. Only the stuff for Christ is going to have eternity. It's the stuff that's going to matter a hundred years from now. This represents everything that consumes our one and only life in the physical here and now. And as you watch it fade away, ask yourself, Lord, am I more engaged in a whole bunch of stuff that literally at the end of the run is just going to wither? Or can I join you in the life that I know? I know we really all want this life. The life we really, really want is the life where we join God in what he's doing all around this world to move towards the brokenness, to move towards the darkness, to move towards the lostness. Gang, the headlines will scroll this week again with Nineveh-like realities. We are living in the land of Nineveh. Come on now. You know that. 
You're overwhelmed by it. You fall to your knees and say, God, I don't even know how to pray about these things anymore. And when you watch this flower fade away, ask yourself, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because God said, I'm way more concerned about 120,000 people lost than I am about this plant. May it be said for you and me. That's how we push back. Because we can be a really, really good person and not be engaged in God's God's global purposes. And that's how we end up with a heart that's kind of covered up with jadedness, cynicism, self-righteousness, and judgmentalism. And the only way we push back against it is we got to engage. Engage this world with the light and the hope and the grace and the love that we have received. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for this amazing little book inserted. So much commentary on our lives. Thank you that you never gave up on him. Thank you that you pursued Jonah in his disobedience and you pursued him in his obedience. Thank you that you're that kind of a God. That you never give up on us, you keep coming for us and maybe we've got some right now in places of, you know, we know in our heart of hearts there's some stuff creeping up. There's maybe a little too much self-righteousness, a little too much judgmentalism. Maybe we've gotten a little too jaded towards some of the Nineveh-like stuff going on around us. God, melt that away. Overwhelm us with your love and grace again. Move us out towards the things that break your heart. Help us see what you see. Give us your love and compassion. We need a movement of the Spirit, Lord. In our hearts, in our church, in our churches around this country and around the world, we pray for revival and awakening to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.